Okay, hey, we're in 2 Kings still, and we have, in the last couple times, been covering a chapter at a time, so I thought, why not we just do the same thing again tonight and cover all of chapter 11. I hope you've enjoyed this kind of journey through 2 Kings. I've told people, it's funny, these are the passages that you just kind of read over in your Bible story time, you know, your Bible reading time, and you're like, Lord... Let there have been something that just stuck in my soul when I read that, you know, like, I don't know what's left. But what I've got the great blessing of is that as I've read, and be honest, and read, and read, and read, sometimes it feels like it's 10, 15 times that I have to read the story before it finally really makes sense of what we need to talk about. I've come away with what I hope has been just some beneficial principles for our life, um, and to help us fully understand the story of what is happening Um, in both Israel and in Judah. If you need to know at this time, Israel, the country, is split. You have the northern kingdom of Israel, and you have the southern kingdom of Judah. If you were with us last week, we talked about Jehu, and we talked about his rampage and his reign. He went on a killing spree. He killed kings. He killed Jezebel, um, killed a lot of people, and then he reigned for a long time as king in Israel. Well, today, and we know that he was a man that was used by God, but he was also a flawed man, and he had a heart problem. We analyzed that last week. This week, we're going to shift from the northern kingdom of Israel to the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, remember, Jehu killed Ahaziah, who was the king of Judah. And what this now means is that the throne is open. And in any kingdom, when the throne is open, usually that means a battle breaks out. So with that being said, we're going to pick it up in verse 1. Let me also say this. I'm going to read a couple of verses at a time and then have some discussion about what is there. So I'm going to be offering some color commentary as we read the verses. So don't be freaked out when I stop. Verse 1. When Athaliah, Ahaziah's mother, saw that her son was dead, she proceeded to annihilate all the royal heirs. Let's stop right here. Who is Athaliah? I'm just trying to get it right. Athaliah. How about that? Athaliah, does that work for you guys? I could have just said the same thing I said earlier and you would have probably not noticed. But Athaliah, she is the daughter of Ahab and obviously the mother of Ahaziah. We just saw that in verse 1. But this is also significant. She's also the founder of Baal worship in Judah. It makes sense. This is what was going on from the Ahab's family in the northern kingdom. She just brought it down to the southern kingdom. And in, in verse 1, what we see is that she's so, she sees her way to the throne and she's so power hungry that she proceeds to kill all of the royal heirs. Anybody who could have had access to the throne, she wipes out so that she herself can be queen. Now, this is significant. This is very significant. Remember in, the, in chapter 10 that Jehu killed many of the relatives of Ahaziah on his journey to Samaria. He came across them. He killed 42 of them. Well, now we come to the rest of the heirs who could have been available for the front throne, and she wipes all of them out. Now, if all the other relatives have already been murdered at this point, here's what this means. This is hard to think about. That Athaliah just killed all of her grandsons. That's who she just wiped out. She is so worried about getting the throne that she wiped out all of her grandchildren. You see, it is true that the desire for power can make someone do very terrible things. And we see it here. 
But this is also even more significant because when you understand the Bible as a whole, the story of the scriptures, you know that she was not just wiping out her grandsons, but she is wiping out the lineage of David. God promised in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, that the line of David would continue until the coming of the Messiah. Who do we know that Jesus was? He was of the lineage of David, right? So this, is, this matters. This lineage was called the lamp in Jerusalem. And so she was not just attempting to wipe out the heirs of her throne. She's attempting in many ways to wipe out God's plan of redemption. And think about what if she is able to accomplish this? What if she is able to? Wearsby on this passage, he said, Satan certainly did his utmost to keep the promised Messiah from being born in David's family in Bethlehem. And he almost succeeded. And they were one infant away from total distinction. Um, um, uh, what does he call when the dinosaurs, they're gone? Extinction. Okay, I apologize. It's been some early mornings this week, Okay. They're one infant away from extinction. And this is where we pick up in verse 2. It says, Jehoshaphat, who was King Jehoram's daughter and Ahaziah's sister, secretly rescued Joash, son of Ahaziah, from among the king's sons who were being killed. And he put him and the one who nursed him in a bedroom. We've got one son left. So he was hidden from Athaliah and was not killed. Joash was in hiding with her in the Lord's temple six years while Athaliah reigned over the land. We get a good picture right here of what Athaliah thought about the Lord God of Israel. And can I tell you why? Because Jehoshaphat realized that the one place that she could take this son to was the temple because Athaliah worshiped Baal. She's not walking into the temple. And then, I'll, can I give you just my own understanding of how I also know that she didn't walk into that temple? Because at this time, Joash is a toddler, a boy toddler, and there is not any louder thing on the planet than a toddler boy. And then this is a temple built mostly out of stone, which means sound is reverberating everywhere. If you've ever taken a toddler into a bathroom with four cinder block walls, you know what it's like when that, that toddler begins to talk very loud. Obviously, Athalia had not entered into the temple because she clearly could have heard this little boy walking around. Now we pick up in verse 4. In the seventh year, Jehoiada sent for the commanders of hundreds, the Karaites and the guards, he had them come to him in the Lord's temple where he made a covenant with them and put them under oath. He showed them the king's son and commanded them, This is what you are to do. A third of you who come on duty on the Sabbath are to provide protection for the king's palace. A third are to be at the fountain gate and a third at the gate behind the guards. You are to take turns providing protection for the palace. Your two divisions that go off duty um, on the Sabbath are to provide the king protection at the Lord's temple. Completely surround the king with weapons in hand. And anyone who approaches the ranks is to be put to death. Be with the king in all his daily tasks. Verse 9. So the commanders of hundreds did everything the priest Jehoiada commanded. They each brought their men, those coming on duty on the Sabbath and those going off duty, and came to the priest Jehoiada. The priests gave to the commanders of hundreds King David's spears and shields that were in the Lord's temple. Then the guards stood with their weapons in hand, surrounding the king from the right side of the temple to the left side, but the, by the altar and by the temple. 
Jehoiada brought out the king's son and put the crown on him. Then he gave him the testimony and made him king. They anointed him and clapped their hands and cried, Long live the king. Okay, stop right here. Can I give you a very interesting fact today from this passage? Something that has significance even to the day that we're living in. Let me me show you this. First of all, it says that they put the crown on him. So you can see the little boy with the crown. And then it says that they gave him the testimony. What does this mean? Well, the Hebrew, this word in Hebrew is eduth, which means a scroll of the Torah. So get this picture. They put the, the crown on his head and they give him the Jewish scriptures. So in here, here's the command. Basically, you're going to rule us. You're going to rule our people, but you're going to rule through the word. Do you see that? Now, can I tell you how that has significance for today? We just recently saw uh, a coronation of a new king of the British monarchy. Did anybody watch that? Anybody in here watch it? I'll be honest, I didn't. We had a, okay, we had more. Some were ashamed at first to raise their hand, but the rest of you ended up doing it. That's good. As a part of that coronation, if you watch closely, do you know what happened? They put, obviously, they put the crown on the king's head, but then do you know what they also do at the coronation? They place a Bible in the king's hand. Do you know where that comes from? You don't have to guess hard. This passage right here that we're looking at today. How do we, this whole coronation process, it comes from 2 Kings chapter 1 that they do. And so right here, if you didn't know this, you know this now today. The whole process of the crown on the head and then the Bible in the hand comes right here from 2 Kings chapter 11. Can I give you one other really cool, cool fact? It says that they, they anointed him and clapped their hands and cried, Long live the king. Anybody want to guess what the King James Version translates, Long live the king? Just, God save the king. What, is, what, is the, what do they say for the British monarch? God save the king. Do you see the whole connection right here? No significance of what I want to do spiritually. I just think that makes uh, is a cool thing to point out. Now let's pick back up in 13 and read through the rest of the passage. When Athaliah heard the noise from the guard and the crowd, she went out to the people at the Lord's temple. She looked, and there was the king standing by the pillar according to the custom. The commanders and the trumpeters were by the king, and all the people of the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets. Athaliah tore her clothes and screamed, Treason! Treason! Then the priest Jehoiada ordered the commanders of hundreds in charge of the army, Take her out between the ranks. And put to death by the sword anyone who follows her. For the priest had said, she is not to be put to death in the Lord's temple. So they arrested her and she went through the horse entrance to the king's palace where she was put to death. Then Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord, the king, and the people that they would be the Lord's people and another covenant between the king and the people. So all the people of the land went to the temple of Baal and tore it down. They smashed its altars and images to pieces, and they killed Matan, the priest of Baal, and the altars. Then Jehoiada, the priest, appointed guards for the Lord's temple. He took the commanders of hundreds, the Karaites, the guards, and all the people of the land, and they brought the king from the Lord's temple. They entered the king's palace by way of the guard's gate. Then Joash sat on the throne of the kings, and all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet. For they had put Athaliah to death by the sword in the king's palace. 
Another very interesting story that we come to here in 2 Kings chapter 11. Now, next week, we are going to spend a lot of time focused on the reign of Joash, and we'll pick up the end of the story and move on. But tonight, what I want to do is focus on what I'm calling a true power couple. You have Jehoiada and Jehosheba, this husband and wife who are willing to be faithful to God while living underneath an evil ruler. I mean, think about this. Their circumstances did not change their commitment to the Lord. I think we have a lot that we can learn from this couple. You see, this offers us a great model today because as we continue to see, as we continue to see our culture change and life as a Christian become more difficult, I believe that we can look at the life of Jehoiada and Jehoshaphat and learn from their example. So here's what we're going to do with just the time that we have left. We're going to look at some aspects of their life that is worth us imitating in our own lives, okay? So some aspects of Jehoiada and Jehoshaphat's life that's worth us imitating. Emulating. How about that word? Is that better? First, first point. What do we emulate from them? We see that they valued human life. They valued human life. When Athaliah decided that she's going to kill, she's going to murder all of the sons, we see Jehoshaphat rescue Joash and hide him in the temple. Now, yes, Joash is a special child. This, is, this is, should be the king. But can we not also apply to, from this passage that there is this desire that we should protect all children, that all human life is precious? See, the Bible teaches multiple times that every human being is made in the image of God. And that's every person. That's every person. You can maybe heard it said this way before. From the womb to the tomb. Have you heard that? Every person is an image bearer. See, that's why we take the issues of abortion so seriously. Because in the womb is not just a clump of cells, but an image bearer. It's why we have the ministries of Love, Love's Kitchen. Because the homeless person that we serve is not just someone who made mistakes or is down on their luck. He or she is an image bearer. It's why we have an after school program for teenagers that are coming in. Because we see them more as just teenagers that are roaming the streets but as image bearers. It's why we send out missionaries to the ends of the earth. Because we see those who are far from God not just as heathens is what we said in the past but as image bearers. And it is why we seek desperately to assist families as they're caring for their elderly relatives because they are not just bodies in beds, but they are image bearers. You see, what you need to understand is that to be a Christian means that you see human life as deeply valuable. You can't be a Christian and not see human life as deeply valuable because to be a Christian means that you understand everybody is made in the image of God. Let me ask you this question. What is it that you can do to protect life and fight for the good of all people made in the image of God? What can you do? I've probably told you the story before about my friend Daniel. Daniel um, is a, a, an incredible man. Um, he's a couple years older than me. But Daniel's story is something that most of us have never experienced. Daniel, when he was born, he was born without arms. Not only was he born without arms, he was born not breathing. And I've heard him tell this story before, but he said that the doctor grabbed him, by, had his arm under him, and had his arm by his, on his feet. And he looked at his father and he said, do you want me to do anything about it? To which Daniel's father responded. He says, you do whatever you have to do to help my son live. 
From the very beginning of Daniel's life, people asked if it was even worth for him to be a person in society. If he had any meaning at all. And for him, for most of his childhood and many of his teenage years, he asked himself that same question. Does my life even matter? Does it matter? But when he was in eighth grade, he went to a a summer camp in which J.D. Greer was preaching on the beauty of the gospel and what it meant for every person in that room. And in there, he heard this, that every person is created in the image of God and God wants and desires every single person in that room. And for the first time in Daniel's life, he felt like his life had a purpose. And that night, he gave his life to the Lord and decided from that moment that he was going to use his story to share the beauty of the gospel all around Can I tell you about Daniel now? Daniel now is married and has two children. And he travels the world telling people about the good news of Jesus. And some of the main people he talks to are eighth graders like himself who are asking if their life has any meaning or any purpose. And he stands in front of them and he says, look at me. If I have purpose, if God wants me, he wants you as well. Can I tell you another incredible thing that Daniel has done? Daniel has accomplished an undergrad degree and a master's degree, and he's written multiple books. I kid you not, I've sat with him before. He types faster with his toes than I do with my own fingers. It's just true. It's an incredible thing to witness what Daniel can do. But what I love about Daniel is he stands up in front of everyone and he says, life is valuable, and I appreciate my father who saw that to be the case and made that true about my life. If we can take anything from Jehoiada and from Jehoshaba, we should be people who value life. What do we also learn from them? We see that Jehoshaba and Jehoiada practiced faithful patience. It's a word that we don't like. It's definitely a word I don't like. What do we see Jehoshaba and Jehoiada do? They not only rescued Joash, but they hid him in the temple And not just for a couple of days, not just for a couple of months, but for six years they hid him there. Why? Because they were willing to wait and wait wait for the time in which God told them to act. They waited because they trusted the Lord. We live in a microwave society, do we not? A society in which everybody wants something to happen automatically. I cannot be honest with you, I can't barely watch normal television anymore because I get tired of the commercials, which makes the show I want to watch longer. Anybody? I, I, I just, it's just hard. I, 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 want my, I want what I'm doing to be done fast, and I don't want to wait on it. I'm a person who struggles with patience. And what this leads over to is our relationships with God. When God does not answer a prayer in the time in which we want... When God does not work in the time frame in which we want, our first reaction is to look at God and say, God, do you not care? Because if you cared, you would have already done this. And when we make that kind of statement, what we often forget is that his understanding of time is not our understanding of time. And his ways are higher than our ways. And his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And another thing that we forget is this. That often the greatest amount of growth in our life as Christians happens not when every one of our prayers get answered, but it happens in the time of waiting. Think about your own life. Where has your faith grown the most? I guarantee you it's happened in the times where you've had to wait and you've had to be patient. Makes me think of a story about James Garfield. You might know this, might not know this, but before he was ever president of the United States, he was first principal of Hiram College in Ohio. And one day a father came up to him and he said, Look, my son's in this in this course of study. 
Is there any way, and it's taken them a while, can you just, you know, take some classes also off of it, just change the whole course of study so that my son can get done faster and go ahead and get into the workforce? And I love Garfield's response. He said, certainly, but it all depends on what you want to make of your boy. When God wants to make an oak tree, he takes 100 years. When God wants to make a squash, he requires only two summers. There's a big difference between a squash and an oak tree, is there not? We saw great things happen right here because Joash, I mean Jehoiada and Jehoshaphat were willing to wait. Wait for God to lead and for God to move. And may we be people who pray and ask for the practice. And may we pray for patience and growth in our lives. That we would be people who practice patience as we seek to follow the Lord. Now third, we've got two more and I'll do these quickly. What's the third thing that we emulate from them is this. Not only did they practice patience, but they also practiced quiet obedience. How many of you before tonight had really just knew by heart the name Jehoiada or Jehoshaphat? Anybody in this room? Okay, we got one, okay? You just don't know it. You know why? Because they are people that you just don't really hear from in the scriptures. You don't hear anybody else talk about Jehoiada or Jehoshaphat after this point. And I guarantee you this, you probably won't find anybody who's been named after Jehoiada or Jehoshaphat. That's just not a name that's been passed down. And what do we see in Jehoshaphat? This incredible woman of God, she is someone who didn't seek the spotlight. She didn't try to make herself the center of everything right here. She quietly obeys the Lord and does what she can do in obedience right there, which is this. Let me be a part of the furthering of God's kingdom by saving the lineage of David. And really, with nobody knowing, the only reason we know about this is because the writer puts it in the scriptures. It's the only way we know. What we see in Jehoshaphat is this quiet, faithful obedience, a hidden obedience. And can I tell you what's so great about this? When you understand the Christian history as a whole, what you see is that this is the normal way in which God grows the kingdom. This is the main way God grows the kingdom. It is not by showy performances of power that this has happened most times. No, but quiet faithfulness and and the, the quiet faithfulness and obedience of regular people like you and me. That's how God's grown the kingdom. I could sit up here today and give you story after story of the quiet, faithful people in our church, but that would defeat the point, wouldn't it? <laughs> If I did that, it would no longer be quiet and faithful. It would no longer be just the name that would be unheard, the name that would be unknown. But that's what's beautiful about First Baptist Hendersonville. That's what's beautiful about the furthering of the kingdom is that the way in which it moves often is from the people that you've never heard of. Can I give you a hard truth? For every one of us in this room, our names are going to be forgotten one day. They are. And probably faster than you think. <laughs> And that, that's tough. Unless you have your name on a building or your name in a book, most likely your name is going to be forgotten. And that can maybe be a hard thing to realize, but can I promise you that I can tell you this. I promise you that your heavenly father takes note of every small act of obedience that you've ever done. He does. He knows. And what this means is that you don't need the fame or notoriety of earth because you, if you are a believer in Jesus today, you have access to the throne room of the God of the universe. You do. And here's what, here's what your God says about you. Your God, he sees you. Your God knows you. Your God loves you. And your God is proud of you. 
Not because you've on your own changed the world, but because you have been faithful and practiced quiet obedience. And in that, changed the world. And finally, let me end us here. One thing I love about Jehoshaphat and Jehoiada is that they displayed incredible courage. Incredible courage. Jehoshaphat courageously hides one of the king's, the king's heirs, knowing there's a great chance that Athaliah could hunt her down and kill her. She's willing to do it. And then Jehoiada shows this incredible courage by gathering up the guards, knowing in that moment they could choose in that moment to be faithful to Athaliah. But he gathers the courage to, gather, to get them together and leading to the overthrow, or I would say the setting back up again of the kingdom of Judah. That took great courage. And can I tell you why I'm grateful for their courage? You see, it's because of their courage that the line of David actually continues. And because of their courage, it meant that a baby was born in Bethlehem. And it's because of their courage that the seed of David pays for all of our sins on the cross and he himself defeats death. And it's because of their courage now that every one of us, because we believe in that Jesus, will rise again with him one day. Their courage set the stage for all of Christian history. And for that, we can be thankful. But what does it mean for us living in this world? It can be scary to be courageous, can it not? And if we're honest, courage is something that's easy to talk about, but very hard. It's very, it's very different when you actually have to do it. There's an ex example of something um, that happened during the Soviet Union with Nikita Khrushchev. That he, you know, he becomes leader, and he had denounced. When he became leader, he denounced many of the policies and atrocities of Joseph Stalin. And one day, when he was up in front of a large group of people, and he had censored Stalin in a public meeting, someone from the crowd screamed out at Khrushchev, and they said this, You were one of Stalin's colleagues. Why didn't you stop him? Well, when Khrushchev heard that, he roared out, and he said, Who said that? And then the room became deathly quiet. Nobody said a word. And then he very quietly said this, Now you know why. It's easy to be loud and be courageous until the moment matters, right? <laughs> but can I tell you today why we can actually practice true courage? We can practice true courage today because the courage that we are trying to put on is not courage about our own selves and what we can do. It's courage because of the one who lives within us. Who is there to fear when you know that the God, when God himself is with you at all times? Who is there to fear? Let me give you two quick quotes, and I promise I'm done. One comes from Mel Mary Slessor. She was a missionary in Nigeria and was going out on this journey on her own. And before she left, this is the words that she penned. She said, Lord, the task is impossible for me, but not for thee. Lead the way, and I will follow. Why should I fear? Look at this. I am on a royal mission, and I am in the service of the King of Kings. Why could she walk into Nigeria without fear? Because she knew this wasn't just her mission. She was on a royal mission. And let me give you another one of my favorites. This one comes from John Wesley. He said, I am immortal until my work is done. <laughs> Why was he courageous? He knew when it was time for him to go, then that was God's time for him. And so because of that, he walked into everything boldly with courage. So church, let's value life. Let's practice patience. Let's live lives of quiet obedience. And let's be courageous for the Lord. Let's pray together. God, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for this chance that we come to get, get to come together and study your word. Oh God, may texts like this, ones that we sometimes pass over, make a div, deep impact on our life. We love you, God, and we're thankful for you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.